<laughs> Good morning, man. Good morning, man. If there's ever been a day where I thought, should I go back to bed and start over? Today was the day. But the devil ain't going to get us. So I'm super excited you're here. Your kids are outside having a blast probably, and they're having a good time at back-to-school blast and, and um, going up in grade. And, man, I'm just so thankful, thankful, thankful that you are here. If you could do me a favor, if you would say, I don't care whether I could come to the 9 or 1030, you should come to the 9 if you love Jesus. Okay, so... We're starting a series today called uh, Living in Exile. We're, st- we're going through First Peter, and if you've got a Bible, you can turn with me. If you've got a, a, a phone, you can open that up. And we're just going to walk ourselves over the next five, six weeks through First Peter. And I know some of you are like, well, how do I see my Bible? Well, we have awkwardly positioned certain lights on people, like on Ramona over here. So, uh, and we are working on our lighting situation and figuring out a better solution. So feel free not to email me. Appreciate that. And... Um, but, uh, but anyway, so, uh, you know, several of you have asked, where's our, where's our times of prayer and altar? I don't know if you've heard of COVID. Anyway, so, so just, just, just keep those to yourself. All right, anyway, so, so we're doing this thing in First Peter, living in exile. And I'm pretty excited. We're, today's sermon is holy hope that you should have holy hope. And I, and I just think that when we get into the Word, a lot of times we like to pick and choose certain Scriptures and we start to get kind of wonky on what we believe. And when we walk ourselves through the Word, there's something that the Holy Spirit does and like transforms us when we literally position ourselves to just surrender to His Word. And so that's what we're going to do over the next six weeks. We're just going to walk ourselves through this Living in Exile series. Uh, the setting is in ancient Rome, and the writer is Peter, and uh, he's writing uh, to these churches. But the, the, um, the setting for Rome is they are strong economically. they got an incredible military. They're incredibly innovative. And with all that going on, it's like they're just in the process of self-destructing. I mean, with all the things, they got money, they got, they, got, they got businesses booming, they got a military that'll take on anybody. They, they're coming up with just these creative ideas, but they're imploding amongst themselves and they're self-destructing. If you looked at the area that is um, now modern-day Turkey, this is where he would be writing, and it was a large geographical area. And what you see in red is where the, the people that he's writing to begin to scatter to. So they were all in one place. Now they're starting to scatter, and it's this really large area. And in the middle of this large area, there's this really small group of Jesus followers, and they're feeling pressured. Should I, should I follow this or should I do this? Should I, should I be with this political party or should I be with this political party? They're starting to, to feel the strain of pick a side and live a certain way, and you, can't, you, can't, you have to be one or the other. And as a nation, what begins to happen is they begin to, um, they begin to divide themselves and then they begin to melt down. And then all of a sudden, the meltdown on the outside begins to creep into the church. And so what you see on the outside where, where everything is going sour begins to slowly slide into the building of the, the people of God, into the lives of the people of God, into their relationships. And so Peter, who's writing this, is this distant overseer, and he would be over this whole, this whole region. He's writing to groups of churches, and basically he says to them, the problem out there should not be the problem in here. The the problems out there, the the divisiveness and and the conversations and the selfishness, that should be the conversation out there. That should not be the conversations in here. Literally, 
We're an outpost for the kingdom. That the distractions of division and, and um, selfish living and uh, putting one myself above you, that that stuff isn't welcome in here. That it's always about Jesus. And so he's writing to this group who was really into this strong culture, and they've kind of been scattered and they're starting to feel divided because of all the beliefs that one has and doesn't have and the infighting and, and, and the division and the, and the implosion. Does that sound familiar to anybody? I mean, have a TV? Do you look on the Internet at any point? I mean, everybody and their brothers fighting with each other. Cannot agree. I mean, problems abound. And you gotta you gotta pick this party or that party. You gotta you gotta believe this way or that way. You gotta you gotta you've gotta decide. Everybody's making you decide. And, and first Peter would say, You don't put your hope in that, you put your hope in Christ. And he would say, The problems are never ending. You ever notice that? Problems are never ending. The older I get, the more I realize, oh, <laughs> the problems don't go away. Right? The problems don't go away, but the solution is Christ. That it's always the solution, that it it, it is it is what we point to. When we read a passage uh, uh, like this we will today, but also through the rest of First Peter, we don't read the Bible just as um, what happened. It's what is always happening. So we read it in terms of what is happening today, that sin always pressures and that pagans always repeat, and the Bible always points to the solution, which is timeless, which is God's word, which always centers around Jesus. I found this quote, and it kind of goes with what we've been saying lately. I think, I think it um, proves a good point. We believe in a kingdom in which you don't fight fire with fire. You fight fire with water. If you find yourself having to use the same evil tactics as your enemy and justify it because your ends are noble or holy, you've already lost. You've already lost. I mean, when we say things like, um, we amplify the beauty of Jesus into a broken world. We don't take our cues from a broken world on how to respond to a broken world. And so Peter, he's saying right off the bat, hey, why do I write this to you? Well, you were in a strong um, situation, but you kind of have now scattered and you're, you've been persecuted. And so right off the bat, he says, I'm telling you this, I'm writing you to encourage you. And we're, we're walking through this series to give you hope literally in Jesus Christ to encourage your faith and your walk. Did you know that fear is contagious? Fear is contagious. Uh, so is courage. One of my kids um, is a act and then think. Anybody have one of those? What a blessing that child is, you know. Anybody? My other two are thinkers and then actors. God, God appreciates them for my family. But, but then I have one, and he just, he's going to act, and we'll figure it out. There, he'll probably change the world in a lot of ways because he'll just figure it out as he goes, right? So when he was younger, uh, he would do things that scared me half to death, and I would try to stop him. And then I realized I might as well just join in with him, teach him, because he's going to do it whether I tell him to do it or not. And so he would go to the pool with his little pull-ups on. He would have, it was probably two and a half or three. And he walked out on a diving board, and he turned around, and he said, I'm going to do a backflip, Daddy. And all I could see was a hospital bill. And it's just like, you're going to hit your head. It's just going to be terrible. You're going to, you know. So I said, well, come here, come here, come here. So we got on the back, we got on the side of the pool, and he started working on his backflip. And, um, and I taught him how to do a backflip, you know, to his mother's dismay. Like, why would you teach him that? Like, he's going to do it anyway, you know, teach him the backflip. And then when he got up on the diving board, uh, you know, the little kids, they get up there, they're like, oh, 
it? They'd take forever, and you're like, hurry up. We're starting to hate you. Hurry up. So they they finally like, I don't know. I don't want, and they walk away. Well, he would walk up. He would turn around. He'd go, watch this. And then you watch all the kids around him starting to get some courage. Right? Like, because he was, like, willing to do a backflip. Like, I can jump off a diving board. And all of a sudden, they just start peeling off one after another, you know? Faith is kind of the same way, that your courage inspires another person. So it allows you to um, infect, um, uh, um, inject faith um, into both you and uh, somebody else. You know, you ever been around a toddler? Um, uh, whoever makes the next move after a toddler face plants controls the situation. You ever notice that? It took me way too long in parenting to figure that out. So they're like, they're, doo, 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 shoo, if somebody goes, oh, and that kid sees it, nah, they start, oh my. But what you do, you just face plant, pop on butt, good job, get going. And they're like, really? I'm just supposed to, yeah, just, but they just take off, right? So Peter would say, hey, I'm writing you to, in, to literally inject um, courage right into your spiritual spine. And that's what we're doing our next six weeks. We're going to walk through um, what, what would it look like for our, for our faith to really get stronger and to be planted in the right place. Uh, everybody's going through life, man. Life is so hard now. I mean, it just seems so difficult. But the Bible says that the Christian gets a little bit of extra grace to make it through hardships without losing hope. The hardships aren't going to be less hard. It's that you're given hope in a form of Jesus. And, and so Peter says, life is not always good, but God is always good. So he's saying, Christian, you stand up and you stand your ground. All right, First Peter chapter 1, verse 1, this is what it says. To God's elect, right? Exiles scattered throughout the provinces, right? All that area we showed you, they're scattered throughout. You say, well, who, time out, who is God's elect? What we believe is that God's salvation is available to all. You can accept it or you can reject it. It's free will. He's a gentleman. He's not going to force it on you. But once accepted into the family, literally the Bible says you're adopted into the family, the assurance of salvation is given by the Holy Spirit and, and is witnessed as your adoption as the Holy Spirit then works through you to produce fruit in your life, confirming you're a child of God. It says that, that to God's elect, or literally to the church, exiles scattered throughout. Oh, time out. So you, you've got these followers in one place and they're together, but then persecution begins to, and opposition begins to push on their faith and they begin to scatter. Well, the Christian has a duty, first off, like, man, you have a duty to, like, protect and provide for your family. And if opposition comes your way because of your faith, you protect them. Raleigh is often considered on Forbes' list as one of the best places to raise a family. And if you were living here and you said, this is a great place for a family, but then persecution and opposition started to come to your faith, then you'd rethink living here, one, or you'd give up your faith. So it's kind of what we're seeing in our nation. You have these big, large cities, and they're under attack, and faith is under attack, and family's being attacked, and freedom's being attacked. And you, and you think to yourself, how in the world did we get here? And the Bible gives us this mandate as men to protect and provide for our family. And if I would move anywhere if I needed to protect my family. Here's what the Bible says about you. Interestingly enough, Kim, can you give me that? To God's Christians, the Bible says you are an elect but the world sees you as an exile. The Bible literally says, Christian, you were elected into the family. You were literally a, a Christ follower, but the world sees you as an outsider. And the more we go through culture, you start to realize they don't understand our faith 
anymore. It's not, it's not standard. We're in a post-Christian culture. And so the more foreign it gets to them, the more we realize, well, we're elected into God's creation, into God's family, but, but we're exiles in our world. We're, we're scattered and we're, and we're, um, we're persecuted and we're, we're under attack. But, but what does he say? Verse 2, he says, um, For you who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient to Jesus Christ, sprinkled with his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. And literally we think grace cannot be, um, grace can be resisted, but it's to your destruction. God, God, the Bible says, continues to draw all people to himself, but his grace is not forced upon you. So he gives you this, this free choice. And he says, um, peace be in abundance in your life. I have to ask you, is that, is that what your life looks like? Is it, is it peace in abundance? Let me ask you this. Does the world seem like it has peace right now? Does the world ever seem like it has peace? You know, when you have the contestant that goes up to be the beauty queen, I don't know if we even do that anymore, but the beauty queen person, lady, what do you want? I want world peace. You know why that's always the answer? Because we never have world peace. It's like always a valid answer. Like we still need, we still need world peace. And I think the church ought to be leading the way of individuals who, who bring peace. Why? One, because we're saved. Because we've been elected into the family of God. Two, because we have nothing to prove except Christ. Like you get all sideways on all a million different conversations and arguments and it really can't be found in the Bible. And you just, you're, you're missing the point. The point is Christ. And we ought to have peace because literally if you get slapped in the face, you ought to just turn the other cheek and serve them in Jesus' name. And we ought to be able to lead in peace. You know what is the greatest sacrifice you can give to the Lord? Obedience. Verse 3, this is what he says. Praise be to God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy he has given us new birth into a living hope, to a living hope, through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Literally, the Bible says that you have a literal living hope in Christ. That the Old Testament always points to Jesus, that the cross, that is death, burial, and then resurrection is the point, and everything following in the New Testament points back to his work on Calvary and his resurrection. And literally, he gives you a new living hope as you believe and surrender to Jesus. Verse 4, this is what he says. And in inheritance, he says, after this living hope can, that cannot be perished, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in you for heaven, who through faith you are being shielded by God's power until the coming of salvation that is ready to be revealed in that last time or when he returns. In all this you will greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. These have come so that, that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Time out. Did he say that the genuineness of your faith is better than gold? What? You believe that? There's been a lot of people who have been afraid to come back to church. I guarantee you if I start handing out gold bars they'd put a mask on and come to church. They'd be lined out the door, right? The truth is uh, that the Bible says literally that if you, when your faith is purified, that it is better than any resource that you can humanly get your hands on. 
I love the shows um, on TV where they go from like ground to gold, like how, how they do that, like the processes of being refined and, and all, the, all the way they take the, the dirt and all that they find and purify it till finally they have this gold to show for it. It's like they risk everything and get rich or they just fail miserably and stay poor. The other night I'm watching a show um, called Alone. Anybody ever watch that? You watch that? Yeah. So I just watched Alone, and basically it's 10 people get dropped into Alaska right before winter hits, and they can bring like 10 items, and, um, and, and then they just they have to prepare their little shelter, and they have to get food, and then they have to, um, then they have to survive. Whoever outlasts the other competitors wins half a million dollars. If me and nine of you are ever on that show, you will win. I'm just going to tell you now. I mean, they, they have like a bow and arrow, and they have like a knife and a little flint thingy. And I'm like, I need like lighter fluid. <laughs> you know, I need lighter fluid and a lot of leaves. I don't know. I don't know what to do when they freeze. So, so it, it, the other day, um, I was watching it, and this guy hunts a moose. Hunts a moose. Now, how many people, if you hunted a moose, would know what to do with it after you killed it, which we know you wouldn't kill, but... I mean, you know, what do you do with this thing? I don't know what you do with it. I, I was out in my yard the other day, and I got a BB gun, and I shot a rabbit, and I actually felt bad. I know, I know. It was like one of those situations where I was trying to just get my son off my back, but then I shot it, and I actually hit it. <laughs> you know, like, I'm sorry, little rabbit. He didn't care. He didn't. He ran off. So <laughs> he really did run off. Imagine if... Imagine you're on, a, on this show alone. This, is, this happens the other night. This lady, she's sitting there. She's been out there 70 days. There's only one other person, but she doesn't know it. You're just trying to outlast everybody, but you're not with them. You're just by yourself. She's starting to get wonky in the head. She hadn't eaten enough food that she's got too much protein in her body. She's not having enough fat, so she's lost 20% of her body weight. She gets, she gets in there, and, and she's holding a rabbit's foot. She's like, mmm, you look so good, which is... A problem anyway. But anyway, so she, she's like, mm, you look so good. I wish you had some chocolate on you. Uh-oh. <laughs> like, somebody needs to go home. Like, you know, you know, you know, losing your mind, right? And so she didn't, she talks about it. And oh, I just, the lady almost goes home for chocolate. She would have literally taken that chocolate, the thought of chocolate, and given away half a million dollars to go home and eat chocolate. That sounds crazy to us, but, you know, we'll go eat a steak or whatever it is after church today. And and what the Bible says is, hey, you know what? That faith, the assurance of your faith, that faith that you have have literally put your hope in, it means more than any half a million dollars could ever mean. And we look at that and we think, well, that's crazy. But the Bible literally says, hey, nothing you can get your hands on really is as great as as the fire that refines a faith that is true. You think about it, if you put your, if you put your trust in, in money, you could, you could do pretty well. You could have some good things come your way, but it was never meant to hold. Uh, it was only meant to sustain. So you, you put your investments in uh, in tech, and you're like, I'm going to go all in on tech, and you may have timed it just right, and then Y2K hits. Or you say, well, forget that. I'm going to put my money in housing. I'm going to invest in housing, and then in 2008 and the crash. I'm going to put my money in stocks now. Forget all that other stuff. 2012 beat you up. Then you're finally doing well. The economy's strong. Like, yeah, this is a great year. Coronavirus slams you. Right? I mean, suffering, the Bible says, is always guaranteed, but where you put your hope determines the outcome. 
And really, the outcome is up to you. Look at it this way. Uh, suffering can produce a bitter saint. Sorry, suffering. I know a lot of bitter saints. Suffering can produce a better saint or a bitter sinner. When you go through what you got to go through, when you go through the fire, suffering, which is guaranteed, the Bible says, right, that the hardship will not be less hard. It will just, you will have a way to get through and not lose hope. You can become better as a saint or bitter as a sinner. One of the things I love about being with the church, so I've, I've served here seven years. One of the things I love about it is I get to walk with you through highlights and, and even sometimes lowlights of your life. And I think that people that switch churches nonstop all the time are always coming and going. I think they miss the fact that there's relationships that build that your faith needs to literally inject a strength in you that we're meant to relationally walk on this spiritual journey. When you go through some trials and some tribulations, what could happen is at the end of that, there starts to be this beauty that we all step back and go, wow, I can't believe how much better you seem after such a horrible experience. And there are times where people go through some hard stuff and they come out the other end and I think, wow, you are so nasty. How did you become so incredibly nasty? I think the difference is, is oftentimes while God never leaves us, that he's always walking with us, sometimes we make him walk our journey. I think oftentimes he's saying, you ought to walk with me. Because I'm on the path you really need to be on, and I'm going to keep you safe, but it's going to be hard. And if you'll walk with me, then I'll produce in you a beautiful, genuine faith. Or you make me walk with you, well, I'll help you, and you'll survive. But you could come out of this as, a, as, a, as a, a something better than any gold or riches or wealth. And time always tells how that suffering works out. I think back, when, when I think back to things I, I'm um, sometimes good and bad comes our way, right? Like we don't really have, um, we don't always get to choose what the season is. There's a guy named Rick Warren. He's a pastor and, uh, his son, um, uh, took his life in his twenties. He had some mental health issues and, and they were always worried. They were always worried when he said, uh, when they called him and he didn't pick up, they're always wondering if that was the time. Well, one time they call, he doesn't pick up, they go to his house and, um, and the rest is, um, un- unfortunate. And so, he says after that, he says, we're, we're recovering, we're healing, we're trying to figure this out. He was a good person. He had a lot of struggles. He said, I used to think as a dad that there were good seasons and bad seasons. That this is a good season, now this is a bad season. He said, I've, I've, I've changed my mind. He said, I think good and bad simultaneously exist. And if I put my hope in the circumstance, I'll miss out on the blessing God's trying to reveal to me. He said, would I ever choose this circumstance? Never in a million years. Do I ever want to go back through it? Never, ever, ever. But, but simultaneously, there is good and bad things, and we have to continue to remember that while, while bad happens, that, that God is, is always good, even though life is hard. I think about people who got us to the place we are today. So if you're new here today, welcome. Uh, we're really glad you're here. This is actually an 80-year-old church. I mean, doesn't it look 80 years old? Like, like I mean, it's an 80-year-old church that we sold our facility and, and have relaunched here and and, um, and we're getting ourselves going in this area, and God is doing some incredible things. Think about people who have given decades of their life, literally. I've been here five years. We've been working toward this for four. I think about people who have given decades of their life who in recent days got sick and couldn't make the journey with us. Like I think of three ladies right, right now that, that have given so much to the church and love the church and been obedient and sacrificial and just 
just loved the church when people came and went, when their friends passed away, when their spouses passed away, when, when, when kids went wayward, when, when they didn't have anything else, they still gave. And I, and I think to myself, Lord, why can't they see the goodness and the fruits of their labor? But I'm reminded, one of them reminded me about my hope is not in where we went. My hope is in Jesus. That's right. That's right. Shame on me. You think about like um, for the last four years, we've pushed to finally get here and it's been quite a journey and you've been so fantastic. But part of me could say like, like in March, whenever things started to go south and we started to shut things down and, and this whole virus thing and, and people were freaked out. And, you know, even to this day, I go up to somebody and I play it by how they want to play it. Do you want to shake hands? Do you want to fist bump? Do you want to like elbow? Do you want to like, like today I literally, I literally did an elbow and an air pat. I'm sorry if I air patted you. Like, I don't know what to do. Like, it's such a weird season. I could get like, man, we were going to plant a church, and we planted, we planted, and we relocated this church right in the middle of coronavirus. Like, I get kind of like, wah, wah, you know, like, Ooh. And yet God reminds me, but again, your hope is not in those things, right? Like, like in normal seasons, we would probably have to be, at this point, thinking about three services, because what we've, at two services are quite um, full for this season. And I think to myself, but Lord, and he says to me, I still got you. I still got you. And you gotta, you've got to lean into the hope while dealing with the, the difficulty. The Bible says that this world is not our home. If you, if you were God's church, this, this world is not our home. That it's broken and needs fixing. And it needs, it needs better saints to give light. 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 13, he says, My mind, with my mind alert and fully sober, set my hope on the grace to be brought to you in Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. Literally, that Christ is coming, that he is good, that he will rescue us. But until then, our job is to bring as many with us to heaven as possible. And he says, be sober and alert. Literally, like, like don't be influenced by anything that would drag you from the hope that is found in Christ. I'm going to tell you something. You need to write this down. Sober is the opposite of drunk. Some of you guys need to read that. Sober is the opposite of drunk. Don't, if you're writing it down, get drunk. Everybody good with that? I know that's real popular in today's culture. And I don't get drunk. When I was in college, there was a guy who decided to get drunk, and then he went to my car for whatever reason and took off my license plate. And then he went to bed, crashed. So I drove somewhere to go get a pizza or something, and I got pulled over. And the cop said, hey, man, you don't have a license plate on the back of your car. Okay. <laughs> like, what do I do? I guess go find it. Okay. <laughs> All right. So I drove back to the college and, um, and uh, you know, you get a little bit of grace in those kind of scenarios because it happens probably. And uh, the next day, a guy comes to me and says, hey, is this, your, is this your driver's, I mean, is this your license plate? Yeah. I found it in my pillow. <laughs> right. He slept on my license plate all night. Like, you just don't make, I feel like single guys, they ought to, like, push the drinks away and talk to the girl. Normally, they drink the drinks and then talk to the girl, and you wonder, like, why can I get married? Well, it's because you say dumb things. You know, like, you're going to be better off sober, right? You're just going to be better off sober. And, and, you know, one of the things I'd love to do, this is just personal. This is just for your entertainment. I would love to go to NC State or Duke or UNC, and, uh, and some of these guys who put tables out and put, like, slogans in front of the table, I'd like to put out, um, sober is always better. Change my mind. I mean, their heads would explode, you know. Like, the Bible says 
not just a drink, but literally keep yourself sober. Like, like don't allow things to cloud what's the main thing, which is Christ. We don't, we don't let things cloud the hope we have. You start to, if you find yourself despairing and discouraged and completely miserable and like on the brink of like, what's the point? Then you've missed the point. And so Peter would say, hey, the point is, man, the point is Jesus. The point is to stay um, centered on the things that, are, that are, are true and right and perfect, which is Jesus. First uh, Peter chapter 1, verse 14, as obedient children, don't conform, he says, to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy as I'm holy. Verse 17, since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors. In other words, how you acted before you became God's um, elect. But with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but he was revealed in these last times for your sake. Peter would say, hey, life is painful. Man, sometimes literally life feels like hell on earth. Like the furnace just gets hotter and hotter and hotter. Like the economy's struggling. People are, are more depressed than ever. Uh, politically, everybody's fighting. Everybody's telling half-truths, whole lies. Everybody's taking sides. Uh, and then you think, well, forget all, everything outside of me. Like I'm literally struggling just me. Like I'm personally got issues. I got, I got issues across the table at my house. I got a spouse who doesn't want to be in marriage. I'm sick. I'm financially struggling. I mean, you know, the, the, it just goes on and on. You think, well, when does it stop? And literally, the secret for the saint, now hear me, is the burden can be a blessing if you bring it to the Lord. Man, the burden's a blessing if you bring it to the Lord. If, if, if all you do is ask God in this hard season, God, show me the blessing and I'll walk with you, he will. If all you do is focus on how horrible it is, he doesn't have your attention. And he, he promises, I'll walk with you through the valley of the shadow of death. You fear no evil, right? Because I am with you. You ever notice sometimes life hits people harder earlier than others? I always wonder when I watch somebody who's really struggled early, like, man, God, why, why have they been through so much? I mean, a, a, a young couple will lose a, a child. You think, man, or... Somebody doesn't finish a degree, a degree because of financial issues and, and they just feel lost and, and they're, they're frustrated. Or somebody takes a risk on a financial decision on a, on, a, on a business and they go financially, they go belly up despite having a good idea and a hard work ethic. Or a car accident happens and it, it changes your health or your spouse decides they don't want to be married to you anymore. You're shocked. And a lot of times when we get older, life definitely starts to get more difficult. Though in some ways we've figured things out, the game kind of gets more difficult. I, I recently heard somebody say the adult version of, um, you remember we used to do head, shoulders, uh, knee, uh, knees and toes? The new one is um, wallets, glasses, keys, and phone, right? <laughs> like, like, like where is it at, right? There's, a, there's suddenly a loss of a spouse or your health deteriorates or you're worried about money or you, you watch friends pass on or, or maybe a child isn't following the Lord the way you would hope. And First Peter says to the, to the church, He's saying to those who are scattered, those who now live as exiles, those who the culture does not understand, that's you. He says your hope is found 
in Christ. So whatever's the difficult thing, you praise him in the good. You praise him in the bad, and you praise him in everything in between. I, would, I want to stop for a minute and just tell you, it's possible you sit through a sermon like this, and I'm going to pray for you in just a minute. It's, it's possible you sit through a sermon like this and you say, man, I don't know if I'm part of those that would call themselves the church. I mean, I'm in church, but I don't know if I'm like his chosen. Well, we know that God continues to draw over and over and over. And so here you are, not by mistake. And here you are um, listening to me tell that all hope is found in Christ. Hope is not found in Philip. Hope is not found in, in this church. Hope is found in Jesus, who we always talk about. And Paul would say, if you do not know Christ, then I would say, if you do not know Christ, the best decision you will ever make is to follow him to give your heart to him is to say a prayer and and believe in the lord jesus christ to be forgiven of your sins to believe that he died and rose and will come again and to know that no matter how hard life is jesus is always good i can't even say that about you (laughs) you definitely can't say that about me I'm sometimes good, but he is always good. I want to pray for you, and if you say, hey, I need to make a decision like that, I'm just going to stay down here for a minute or two. And um, I'll pray with you specifically, and I'll tell you what's next, because I don't want you to miss what God has for you, and I don't want you to walk out of here and think, I should have done that. So I'll just wait for a minute. You come and you pray with me, and I'll just walk you through what that looks like what a next step would be. God, I love you today. I'm looking at these people who I dearly love. And we, we know, Lord, that life is hard, that right now life seems really difficult, that like our kids are outside having a blast and we think to ourselves, they have no clue how difficult life is. Life is just fun for them. <laughs> and yet we sometimes miss the hope found in Jesus Christ. That is exiles as people living faith out in a world that doesn't understand it, that we are given just a little bit more grace in your son Jesus to survive and to thrive. So, Lord, I'm praying today for all those who would need just an extra shot of courage. God, would you grant that to them? Would you give them in these days ahead opportunities to share their faith with their family and friends? Lord, would you give them opportunities when they open First Peter and read through it together? God, would you speak to them? God, we're praying for changed hearts and lives. And God, in just a moment, I'll talk to a few people who want to give their hearts to you. That's a huge step. But Lord, we trust you. Like so many people in this room have done, we trust you that you are always good. Father, we love you. You go with us this week, Lord. Be in front of us and behind us and all around us, Lord, we pray. God, help us amplify the beauty of Jesus into a broken world. And it's in your name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. We love you dearly. We'll see you next week.